0: And the days and the nights, they pass by very quickly. And if we don't develop our hearts, then with this passing the days and the nights, our minds just stay the same, just like they were before. They still have ignorance and clinging and craving. The causes for suffering are always there giving rise to stress. So even though um, we may have many things externally, and our um, possessions are complete, but our hearts don't possess happiness, and with the passing of the days and the nights, the sankharas, these conditioned phenomena, they decay as well. And they change in line with their nature and following the seasons, following time. If we're over the age of 90, then life is really not sure. We don't know when these bodies are going to fall apart. Even over the age of 80, it's really easy to just go. We don't know when that will happen. There was, at the time of the Buddha, a king who asked one of the Buddha's disciples an Arahant why he ordained. And this monk replied that the world has no leader and that old age, sickness and death is what leads the world. And there's nothing in this world that's truly ours. We have to leave everything behind. What did he mean when he said this? Well, this body that we love, our family, our parents, our brothers and sisters, our grandparents, our friends, all of the wealth and possessions that we own, all of this has to get left behind the things that have consciousness and the things that don't have consciousness. That's what we mean by everything. We have to leave it all here. And it's not that we want to be separated from it, but we can't stop that from happening. It's a necessity. So, having been born, what we gain from that is this body, the rupa-sankara and the Sankhara is anything which is conditioned. And these conditioned phenomena, they are not sure. They're inconstant, they're a source of suffering, they're dukkha. So really this word dukkha, what that means is something which can't endure. And um, so the bodies, or any physical thing, whether that's the bodies of animals or any material thing in this world, This is Dukkha, it's difficult to endure. So this world now is changing very quickly and um, it's tough and it's hard for us to endure being here. It's in a very chaotic state. It's getting hotter than it was before. There are more storms, more earthquakes, more floods. And so we see that um, all of these things change very quickly and there are new diseases like this COVID virus. In Thailand, uh, it's in a lucky situation. The people here can still live together happily, but the economy is in a really hard state. So when this monk Answered why he ordained and said it was because the sankharas or this world it has no leader, it has or it's a slave to craving, and there's no point at which it becomes full or satiated. So, there's no fullness to this world, and that's because uh, Tanha. This craving is always there, giving rise to clinging, giving rise to becoming, then birth, then old age, sickness, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. This um, and this suffering. So we have the causes uh, for this. This then goes back. The suffering then causes. Uh, birth, which causes becoming which causes clinging and craving and feeling and then down to the very beginning of the chain, ignorance and it goes back and forth like this in its twelve stages So this venerable monk, he answered that the world is never full it's never in a state of completion it's a slave to craving which really means that the heart never feels full because it's always got desire and when those are met, then it wants more and that's the nature of desire The only true form of happiness is that of Nibbāna that's a state where the heart truly feels full and complete Once there's the death of the body, there's no more birth and death after that. There's just lightness and happiness arising in the heart. And this is the highest level that we can cultivate our heart towards. We may ask the question, is everyone able to do this? And everyone can reach this point. If we're sincere, if we practice and we cultivate our minds with our sincerity we're always intent on raising up and building up goodness because the Dhamma, it gives results independent of time It's not the case that after the Buddha passed away into final Nibbāna that it's impossible for anyone to see or realize the Dhamma Whenever we're born So say taking birth into the world during these times, whatever ethnicity or race that we are, if we practice following this path of sila, samadhi and panya, then we can raise up our hearts to the level of Nibbāna. It's possible to do this. So the Buddha's last teaching that he gave, or the last Brahman that the Buddha taught, he said that Just as there are no footprints in the sky, there are no awakened beings outside of the noble path And so if we follow this path of Sila, Samadhi and Banya then we will uh, see and attain to the path, the fruits and Nibbāna And where do we perceive these things? We see them right in our own hearts and nowhere else we see that heaven is in the heart, the Brahma worlds are in the heart, Nibbana is right here in our heart. Hell also arises in our hearts as well, because when the heart is suffering, it's in hell. When it's happy, then it's in heaven. There was one story that Lumpur Chah recounted, there was one time when he was a younger monk, he was doing walking meditation, and then he stopped to look at some red and black ants that were battling against each other, and he would cheer on the opposing sides. At one time he would cheer for the black ants, another time he would cheer for the red ants as they were fighting against each other. And then Lumpur Ginari, whose monastery he was staying at the time, uh, walked past and he said, Oop, up to heaven, whoop, down to hell. And so Lumpu Cha, he was uh, a bit confused by this at the time but he contemplated it. Why did he say that? Why do we say we just go up to heaven and drop down to hell so quickly? But as he reflected upon this, he came to the clear understanding that these things are right in the heart. When the mind is given into liking, it's in heaven. And when it's gone over to disliking, then it's in hell. So looking after our hearts, Is something that bears great importance for us. And for practitioners, if we do train our minds, um, then they will get to a joyous state, when the hair on our uh, bodies uh, stands on end, and then we'll gain an understanding of what this fullness of heart really feels like, what pity is like, and it develops little by little. If we practice so that our minds reach stillness and peace, then this joy does arise and it uh, carries on uh, growing fuller and fuller. And then we can compare it to how we've felt before. And we can also imagine what it may be like in the future. That if joy arises ten times the strength, a hundred times, a thousand times the strength then what would that be like? It was uh, Anandapitika or Sudhata uh, which was his true name. All it took was for him to hear that a Buddha had arisen in the world and he couldn't get to sleep that night. He'd already attended on three previous Buddhas prior errors and our Buddha was to be the fourth that he would attend to and uh, Arya uh, Maitreya Buddha will be the fifth Buddha and only after he attends to him will he attain to Nibbāna so the faith that he had in the Buddhas was great and he heard that a fully awakened Buddha had arisen in the world And there was so much joy in his heart that he couldn't get to sleep all night. With each minute he would think about going to pay respects to the Buddha, and offering, make offerings to the Buddha. This shows that his heart was being pulled by the Buddha into uh, the internal state of awakening into this inner Buddha. It wasn't even yet morning when he started to prepare to go off to meet and pay respects to the Buddha. And when he finally got to the monastery, uh, the Buddha addressed him by his true name saying, Sudhatta, are you here? After this he then listened, for the first time, to the Dhamma, to the Buddha giving a sermon. He first started talking about dana or generosity and already Anandapetika's heart was good, was a very uh, uh, wise and uh, caring heart. He taught about sila, morality, And already Anandapitika wanted to take care of his sila. He knew that sila brings happiness. And so his heart was already in the stream of the Buddha. Then the Buddha taught about practicing the Dhamma, about training our hearts. When he heard this, his mind was very peaceful and there was rapture arising. It shows that nekamma, this uh, relinquishment was already there uh, in his heart, it filled up his heart. So when we come to ordain, when we take up the precepts, whether it's the eight precepts, the 227 precepts, this is for the development of nekama, of this relinquishment in our hearts. And when we bring our minds to stillness and to peace, um, then the, there is this great uh, joy that comes up in the heart. And so the Buddha taught him further that the cause of suffering is craving. And Ananda Pintaka understood, he saw that stress arises because of this craving and through that he saw into the Dhamma, he gained the eye of the Dhamma. He saw that when we attach to anything, if there's uh, the eye seeing a form, or when we hear a sound or smell something, uh, taste something, touch something, cognize anything, if there's craving, clinging present, then there will be suffering. Wisdom arose in his heart and so he understood clearly, and it shows that the Bharami that he had already developed was great. So, we can ask ourselves, how much barami do we have? How much have we cultivated already? And we don't know the answer. What we do know is that there are many, many people in this world, and few of them are interested in practicing. But we have an interest, and so that shows that we've practiced before. It's not easy to come and practice So it shows that that we're able to do this is because we've done it before. We've cultivated our minds before. We've been intent in this training before. So it shows that we've developed and cultivated this mind previously. So when we follow this way, what we do is we try to stay in the present moment as much as possible. And if our minds aren't peaceful, then maybe we're not using the correct method or maybe it's because we have too much desire in our practice. We really want for our hearts to be peaceful but that uh, great desire is preventing peace. So we need to uh, keep things in balance, get them just right. When we practice well and continuously and the mind will feel a sense of peace. And Lumpu Chah, he uh, taught us, so there's, there's great benefits to staying close to the Krubojans, these uh, awakened teachers. And so Lumpu Chah, he taught us the methods of training our minds, To not let the mind go off to the left or to the right, but to try to keep it centered in the middle to perceive everything as arising and ceasing, see all things as being merely conventions. We take a glass, for example, and why do we call it a glass? If we go to other countries, they call it different things. In Chinese, they have one name for it. In Hindi, another name. In Swiss, another name. And why is that? It's because truly, there is no name. We just suppose these names into being, so that we have a communal understanding of what we mean. And so, like male and female, um, these are just conventions that we come up with. But if from the beginning we referred to females as males and males as females, then if someone is a male now, but uh, We change these conventions around, and when they were asked what gender they are, they'd reply that they were a female. We see that this is all just conventions, there's no name, so we give them a name. But it's not just that that happens, our minds truly believe in these names, they give an importance that they don't actually have. one day when we practice we'll gain an understanding of these conventions and the mind will be still and it won't go off to the left or to the right we'll see that a glass is neither large nor big it's just the mind that creates these things The mind is then in a state of equanimity, a state of poise and stillness which means that we have mindfulness present. If there's this stillness to our mind, we'll see clearly into the anicca, dukkha, anatta in-conditioned phenomena, in these bodies of ours as well. In the beginning it may not be so clear, but as we cultivate our parami, our spiritual perfections further, we bring up mindfulness and effort, samadhi our faculties uh, get stronger, our wisdom grows then we'll see uh, the nature of these bodies but for wisdom to arise we need a foundation of samadhi first when we contemplate these bodies we can do it in many different ways We can look at the blood in the body and see that all of the parts of the body need blood uh, to take care of them. We can look at the body as being a bag of many different things. It's like if we hold a bag in front of us and there's the opening, there's the mouth of the bag and the bottom of the bag, and it's full of unattractive things. So we see these bodies as being just a bag of blood, a bag of feces, of urine, of bile, of phlegm that there's when these things decay and fall apart there's no self to them we need to see death before death actually arises our minds then go above death they'll be above happiness and out of suffering they'll be above birth and outside of death and when they gain this understanding um, then there'll be this knowledge but if the heart is devoid of wisdom it'll be stuck in the realm of birth and death whether these things are true or not our minds still stay in this realm of Sankara and just like being locked up in the prison the prison cell of birth and death and there's no one who can gain victory there's no one who's defeated in this world it's all just chaos everything in this world spins around in a state of chaos and that's because our hearts are lost so we need to train our minds to gain a sense of understanding and when we do this, when our minds do understand when there's wisdom, then they won't go and attach to things and suffering won't arise just like before, uh, maybe we used to smoke but when we saw the harm in smoking, we gave it up. Or maybe we used to gamble or go out drinking. But when we see the danger in these activities, what they actually do to us, we're able to abandon them. This shows that our mind has gained wisdom. They're wise to these things. Maybe before we didn't see the danger or the harm in not meditating, in not bringing our minds to peace. But we see later that when the mind isn't still, then it's easy for it to fall into hell because it just doesn't have any knowledge to it. When we understand this, um, we don't want our minds to get hot and bothered like this. We don't want them to get all stirred up. And so we build and raise goodness in our hearts and we have a uh, firm intention to do that we come to contemplate this body so we can see it clearly for how it is see clearly um, or when we see it clearly then there'll be joy uh, flowing into our minds and we need to look after these hearts if they're, um strongly getting involved in hate or anger now, as we practice these things should lessen but practitioners need to have a lot of forbearance sometimes there'll be joy in the heart and sometimes there won't be much happiness coming up but we carry on practicing anyway and maybe with a certain meditation we see some that we don't like just the way they look, the way they act, we just don't like them Um, but we can't just give in to that mood. We need to go against these feelings that come up. And as we do this, then in the end our minds will get better. And this arises from the practice. If we can't keep samadhi continuously in the heart, then that's just what it'll be like. When we meet with a sense impression, especially a strong one, our minds won't be able to accept it, and they'll get caught up in that. And it's just like a rock that's taken off the grass, the grass will spring up once again. But we shouldn't abandon our efforts, we should carry on practicing along this correct path. And really, right effort is the abandoning of any uh, unskillful qualities that have arisen. So we look at our minds, we keep mindfulness there. And we keep them with our kamatana, with our meditation object, and this is the weapon that we use in our practice. So for monks, the uh, contemplation of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin, this is the highest weapon that we can use. And it's the uh, foundation of our meditation practice. And so we contemplate these objects, peeling off the skin, peeling off the flesh, Because if the kilesas are strong, then we'll see all these bodies as being beautiful. We'll see them as being a source of happiness. Mm -hmm. But as the days and nights pass, these bodies also degenerate. When they reach, we may think that um, it's only people who are very old, 80 or 90 years old, that die, but young people die as well, so we can't be heedless. If our minds have peace, then we'll be able to look into these bodies, contemplate them, contemplate their various parts, so that our minds feel at ease. There's a clarity to our contemplation. We'll see that truly they aren't beautiful, and through that our minds become beautiful. They'll clear out and become very spacious and light through seeing into this unattractive nature of the body. But if we see bodies as being attractive, that means that there's a lot of delusion. So we need mindfulness, and we need to constantly contemplate seeing these bodies as being unattractive, seeing them as uh, being things that are of the nature to decay, but there's no self there in them. So everyone have uh, sincerity, set your hearts on this practice.